Well, good morning to everyone. It is indeed a privilege to be here. I had a great night thinking about all the multi-talented that we experienced last night. I can't get Pat. Where's my guy that had the different microphones? And where is you are the man? <laughs> my wife and I were talking about that. I was like, we need to put that on the road, man. We could. We can make some money off of you, brother. <laughs> we had a great time. We have truly enjoyed ourselves here with you. We hope that you have been blessed by uh, what God has given us to give you. And we hope that you can use it and your lives and the lives of others. We've truly been blessed by you guys. We thank you so much. We uh, It was just reminiscent for us uh, being here as we had the privilege many years ago. Many of you may not know that we turned a... Chinese church into a multicultural church. And so years ago, I used to pastor and co-pastor a Chinese church in Houston. And it was first generation uh, Chinese and second generation. And Mandarin was the main uh, language, but I didn't speak it, didn't learn it, but I had great interpreters and we had English. And for five years, we built the church and it was turned multicultural. It was just a beautiful experience. And it's just, it brought me back, you know, just to the time we had a fellowship and greatness together. And uh, just thank you guys for your kindness, uh, your love. We truly have felt appreciated and wish we could just pack you up and take you home. You know, it's a lot in Texas. We'd have a good time together, but then you wouldn't be in this wonderful place that you're in. But again, thank you so much for all that you've done to show love for us. Let's bow our heads in word of prayer and let's begin to get into God's word together. Father, we thank you for all that you are doing. I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for the pastor and his wife. Thank you for the elders. I thank you for all the parishioners. Lord, we just appreciate how you show yourself through others so well. I pray, Lord, that you will continue to build and guide this church, that you will continue to fill them with your presence and your love, and that, Lord God, they would not ever wax cold in the love that you are showing uh, through this congregation. Continue to build them, continue to grow them, Help them to experience more of your presence and your promises as they've been surrendering to your precepts. And Lord, we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Story is told of this man who wanted this beautiful painting of Jesus. And as he bought this painting of Jesus, he bought a very, very big painting. And so when he brought it home, he tried to figure out how to get the painting into his house. And so he tried the back door, the front door, he tried the windows, he tried every way possible, and he could not get the painting into his house. So he hired uh, many engineers and architects, and they all tried to come up with a way to get this man to get this painting of Jesus into his house. And so finally, one guy just said, listen, we can't take your money anymore. Here's the reality. This painting is so big that it can't fit into your home you're going to have to build a home around this painting. And the reality of that is true for us. Many of us are trying to fit Jesus into our lives. But the reality is we've got to build our lives around Jesus. And too often we have, comp comp well, how do you say it, comp comp uh, compartmentalized. I'm having a hard time saying that word this morning. Need some more coffee. And as a result, we've got our jobs over here. We've got our family over here. We've got church Jesus over here. And the reality is Jesus was meant to be the center. And as Jesus is the center, everything else is to revolve around that. 
Which brings me to this idea of servanthood. I want us to really process it because being a servant is not really the issue as much as the agenda behind the service. I have met a lot of people who are servants, but they're not servants to the glory of God. They're servants to be seen. They are servants so that people can pat them on the back. They're servants because there was another agenda behind the service. And so serving alone, it's never the issue. It's the motivation of the heart. It's the connection to the Savior in serving. And I want us to begin to think about that because all of us can serve. I mean, let's face it. We all have jobs for most of us. And what are we doing our jobs? We serve, but we're serving for a reason. I mean, I don't know how many of you would work for free. Anybody in here will work for free? Maybe a little bit for a while. But the reality is your serving is tied to something that comes at the end. When you think about the service that God calls us to, he gave us the model and Jesus Christ, who is the king and the son of God, who took on the form of man, who was crucified, buried, and resurrected, so that we who put our faith in him will be delivered from our sins, he gave us a model of what it means to serve. And I want us to explore that this morning, because for many of us, our serving is limited to the people. Our serving is limited to our mood. Our serving is limited to other things around us. And what I mean by other things around us, I mean that sometimes our serving is limited to other things that we deem more important than God's agenda for the moment. And we all have to work through that at certain levels of our lives, but the reality is simply this. God did not save you so that you can live a better life. God did not save you for you to have him as your life coach. God did not save you so that you can be the better version of you. God saved you for himself. And God saved you that you would serve him. Now, why is that so important? Because all of us serve in certain capacities. So again, it's not about activity as much as it's about the relationship and the motivation behind the relationship. Now, I can tell you as a person who is connected with many people on certain levels of relationships, there are certain people that I can't let serve me. Can I tell you why I can't let them serve me? Because they're serving me has a price. It's not free. And if they do something for me, they didn't do it for me. They actually did it for themselves. And then they give me the Michael Jackson theology. Can I tell you what the Michael Jackson theology is? Remember the time. You remember that song? Okay. And so when they, if I say something to them, if I tell them no, well, do you remember when I did this for you? Do you remember when I did this for you? And I've had too many people in my life who didn't serve because they cared. They served because they were storing up for an agenda in the future. The kind of serving that Jesus wants us to have, the kind of servants he wants us to be, are the kind that don't have the Michael Jackson theology, where we don't get historical and remember the time. It's the kind that says, I'm giving of myself, and I don't even remember half the stuff I've done for anybody. Why? Because my heart is about reflecting the glory of God. Now, I share that with you guys because for many of you in this room, People can't say no to you without you remembering what you did for them. And what that says is that a lot of what you do for people are not for God's glory and their good. It's for you. 
I want you to be the kind of people that are so satisfied in the presence of God, so okay with what he has, that you can give of yourself to others without looking for anything in return. I want to show you the model of what that looks like. If you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verses 1 to verses 17. We're going to begin to break this passage down. I want to read it to you, and then I want us to break it down in sections to look at our king, our God, how he modeled what it means to serve. In John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17, let me read it, and then we'll come back and break it down by section. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was giving back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured the water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, What I am doing you do not understand now, but after you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet, Jesus, or never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Here's what I say. Peter was always extra, wasn't he? <laughs> As we'd say in my culture, you're doing too much, man. You're just doing too much. <laughs> Jesus said to him, the one who has babe does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you're clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am so. For if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Take this passage, and I want to break it down into a few sections. I want to talk about the mindset of a servant. Then I want to look at the methods of a servant. Then I want to look at the motivation behind the serving. And then I want to talk about the ministry that can come out of this. When you think about the mindset of the servant, verses 1 to verses 5, we see these practical realities. Jesus knew in order for you, and let me just put it this way, in order for you to be the kind of servant that reflects the very character of Jesus Christ, you have to be as Jesus was, and that is this, a servant of God knows where he or she is going. Now, why is that important for you and I? If you know that you belong to Jesus Christ and that heaven is your home and that earth is just a place where you're traveling, you're not consumed with what people think of you. You are concerned about what's best for them. <clears throat> as I tell people all the time, as I get older, here's a lesson I'm learning. I don't care as much about what you think of me because I'm caring too much about what's best for you. 
And the more I can care about you that way and not being consumed with what you think of me, it's because I recognize my position. I recognize that I belong to Christ and that he has me and that whatever you say or do or think about me doesn't determine my direction. Jesus had this sense of boldness about himself. He knew where he was going. But secondly, a servant of God is focused on loving others accordingly. You, you can't be consumed with what you want from people and love people at the same time. You can't be consumed with how people may treat you or mistreat you and love them at the same time. You cannot have a ministry of serving others if you're too busy thinking about yourself. The two can't go together. You have to be in a position where you recognize that who you are, who you belong to is never going to change. You belong to Jesus Christ. You are signed, sealed, delivered. You are his. Okay. Some of you may have heard that song before. Signed, sealed, delivered. I'm yours. That's the Christian version of it. Signed, sealed, delivered. You're his. Now, why is that important? Because you can accept rejection. You can accept people mistreating you. Why? Because you recognize that even though sin hurts, sin is not personal. Can I explain what I mean by sin is not personal? When people are sinning, who are they thinking about? So who are they not thinking about? It's not personal. It's really not personal. When you are full of yourself, you don't think about anybody else, but people get hurt when you're full of yourself. That's why the reality is a servant is not full of themselves. They are filled with the power of Christ and they are looking at others as how they can serve because they know who they are. Here's the third thing I want you to see. A servant of God is aware of his enemies. Now, we all have people who don't necessarily like us and some of it is deserved because of some of the things we've done. But then there's just certain people that don't like us. I mean, I can go places now and people see my skin color and make a decision about me before I've even opened my mouth. I can sometimes go into a store and people will follow me around because the assumption is I'm going to steal something. Does everybody understand what I'm saying with that? See, we operate by grace relations as we belong to Jesus Christ, but sometimes in the culture they operate by race relations and they make assumptions about who we are and not even understand who we are. But if you understand that there are people who are not going to like you and there's nothing you can do about it, then you understand how to be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove as you serve according to the will and the pleasure of God. Jesus knew that Judas was his enemy, but yet he handled him with grace. A servant of God, if you will, knows the parameters of his or her authority. Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he was going back to. He knew the power that he had. And for you and I, we need to understand the parameters of our authority. And, and let me just say this very practically. None of us get to fix anybody. You are not fixers. You are facilitators. Now, has anyone ever heard of a junior Holy Spirit? Does a junior Holy Spirit exist? Doesn't exist, right? There's only three in a trinity. If there was more than three, there wouldn't be a trinity, right? So you and I have to understand that we have to stop trying to play God in the lives of people and give God to people, serve them, but not try to fix them or force them to listen. Because at the end of the day, only God will bring people to their senses. That means you understand the parameters of your authority. 
As I tell people in my congregation, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to lead you. But my leadership is not for me. And they look at me strange when I say that. And I, and I, ask, I ask them, and I'm going to ask you this question. What will change in my life today if you listen to me? Nothing. What will change in my life today if you don't listen to me? Nothing. All of this is for you. But something may change in your life today if you listen. It's all for you. The moment you understand that as a servant, you recognize it's not about your reputation. It's not about people praising you, patting you on the back. It's about you have something to give that you think will be a blessing. Jesus understood who he was. He had this mindset. And if we want to be servants as he is, we must have the same mindset. But also a servant of God, as we see, does not mind doing the least job in the room, although he or she may be one of the greatest in the room. Have you ever been around those people who, if you were to ask them to do something beneath their job description, they get that attitude? You know that stink attitude. You've seen those kind of people, right? And it's like, how dare you ask me to move chairs? We were at a church or at a, a school where our church is meeting, where we're meeting, and as we were there, Everyone knew that if you came to our church, it didn't matter how dressed you were, we all had to move chairs and we all had to move tables. So there was a couple that came this Sunday and we were finishing up the service. And, you know, one of our leaders got up and said, all right, guys, we know the drill. It's time to move chairs. And they had this look on them faces like I've got this thousand dollar suit on. I'm not going to move any chairs. One of the guys in our congregation now, he's a high-level lawyer that uh, works for an oil company and, I mean, just top-notch, very low-key guy. He said, Pastor, how can I be of help to you? I said, you see these chairs? I need you to come every Sunday and help me move these chairs. He said, that really challenged me. He said, I didn't realize how my mindset was until you asked me to move chairs. He said, here I am, this high-powered lawyer that works for this top firm. And you didn't ask me any legal advice. You asked me to move chairs. I said, yep. I said, I know who you were. I wanted to see who you were. See, servants don't mind doing the least thing in the room because they're not tied to a title. They're tied to a towel. And nothing is too small. Jesus, think about this, the creator of all things served that which should be serving him. This is the mindset I want you to think about. And if we're going to serve as Jesus and be these kind of individuals, we have to understand who we are. We have to understand where we are to be. We have to understand what it means to love others and be willing to give of ourselves for God's glory and their good. We got to know our authority. We know what we are and where we are. What do I mean by this? I can't fix anybody. I can't force anybody. I can serve anybody. This is the mindset we need to have. But secondly, I want you to look at the methods of a servant. That's what we see in verses 5 to verses 11. A servant of God serves others in ways that demonstrates humility. Now, you all have seen those people that want you to know what they're doing, how they're doing it, 
and don't mind telling you how much they worked hard to do what they're doing. You know what I'm talking about? That's the person you go to dinner with and they go, I'm tired of talking about me. Now you tell me what you think of me. Okay. You know those people. I never forget. I was at a party one time and I sat down and I was in the back just kind of chilling, hanging out. And this guy came up and sat down and I asked him about two or three questions. This guy talked for two hours straight. Never asked me a question or anything. I was laughing to myself. I guess I could be a mass murderer. This guy would not know. <laughs> and he was just going on and on and on. And when he got tired of talking, he said, boy, this was a great conversation. <laughs> a true servant serves in ways that he's not trying to let you know. Or she's not trying to let you know. Here is Jesus humbling himself, doing the least job in the room of washing feet. Now, if anything, everyone should have been washing his feet, but he demonstrated humility. I am the creator of all, but I am willing to do the least in the room. That is a demonstration of humility. But secondly, consider this. A servant of God serves others in ways that demonstrates love. The more you're willing to do for people, not because of what you want, but because of what they need, you're walking in the shoes of Jesus. But third, consider this. A servant of God serves others in ways that prepare others for future ministry. The more you connect with people to help them understand who they are, how they need to operate, and what will bring the greatest glory to God, you are helping them get prepared for the future. But fourthly, a servant of God, if you will, serves others in ways that help others stay in fellowship with God. There are some things you can do for people that can help or hurt them. And there's some things you can do for people that can help them. Let me give an example. Hurting people is when you rescue them out of bad consequences and don't allow them to learn from their consequences of their choices. In other words, they spend all their money or they do dumb stuff. And instead of you helping them learn, you just keep paying for them and keep paying for them. And they keep making the same decisions over and over and over again. And you think, well, I'm just trying to help them. No, you're not helping, you're hurting. When you're trying to help people, the goal is that how can I give in such a way that helps them grow in their character and grow in their faith, not stunt their character and stunt their faith? You never want to be God to people. And too often, if you like control and you want to control things and you want to control people, you like the idea of people being beholding to you, and that's a very dangerous place to be. Because true serving means that I need to let you fail if that will help you grow. True serving says it's not my job to be your God. It's my job to invest in your life. A servant of God also serves others in ways that help them walk in holiness with God. He washed the disciples' feet. That's important because in washing their feet, it was more of a symbolism of the fact that we are responsible, if you will, as Christians to help each other walk in a path of righteousness, to help each other walk in a path of holiness. Jesus was showing us that real service to one another is the kind of service that says, what can I do in your life to help you know him, become like him, be useful to him? What can I do in your life to help you stay on the path of righteousness? 
He was demonstrating to us by washing feet. See, the idea is not so much of washing feet as much as a demonstration of washing feet, the thing that gets dirty to get it clean, to keep you on the path of righteousness. And we being willing to do whatever it takes to keep each other in that path. True serving. This is Jesus's mindset. This is Jesus methods. These are the things that if we want to be the kind of servant that brings glory to God, these are the things we have to think about now. Has anyone ever gotten on your nerves? I'm just curious. I want to see a hand. Am I the only one where people get on your nerves? Oh, oh, so people get on your nerves too. Okay, I'm not the only one. The reality of being a servant is that you have to recognize that when people are pushing your buttons, you must disconnect the buttons, not disconnect from the people. That's the reality of being a servant. You don't disconnect from the people, you disconnect the buttons. What does that mean? You know what? The things that I want from this person, maybe I need to lower my expectations and maybe I need to raise my love. And as I lower my expectations and raise my love, maybe I'll be irritated less and faithful more. You say, well, what's wrong with wanting from people? There's nothing wrong with wanting from people. It's when you live for what you want from people versus living to serve people. And too often where you're the most frustrated with individuals is where what you want from them is more important to you than what God has called you to do for them. And the more you focus on what you can do for people versus what you want from people, you'll find that they will irritate you less because you're focused more on the central reality that God will supply all of your needs. And that no single person was meant to be beholding to you. See, that's the beauty of being a servant like Jesus. And verses 12 to verses 17, we see this motivation of a servant, one who should understand. Let me just read what Jesus says back in this. And we want to look at this motivation. Notice what he says when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place. He said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There's a motivation that I want you to see here that Jesus is putting out for his disciples. And I want us to think about this when we think about serving. One is that a servant of God should be driven by the conviction of Christ as teacher and Lord, knowing what God says is right, and he is an authority overall. You know what that means what that mean practically for you and I? You do it because he told you to. Because he said so. That's not complicated, is it? Is it? Why do I do this? Because Jesus said so. He is my authority. He is the standard. He is the reason why I exist. Therefore, if this is what he wants. This is what I will do. But secondly, a servant of God should be seeking to follow the example of his or her teacher and Lord in his or her service to others. They were to serve one another in a way that would keep each other in fellowship and holy. That's the whole idea. What can I do to make sure you are stayed in this union and that you're staying in proper fellowship and righteousness? In other words, how do I help you to believe, to belong, to become? 
In other words, how do I keep you focused on your belief in Jesus Christ? How do I keep you belonging to this community? How do I help you become like Christ? How is my connection to you making you better instead of bitter? What am I doing to connect in your life that through my connection, you are benefited for God's glory and you're functioning in God's will? A servant of God should be driven by the fact that he or she is a slave to God, being ready and willing to obey God's will and serving others. Now, I'm going to ask a dumb question, and then I'm going to ask it a second time. How many of you recognize that you are not your own? Do you really? Let me check your checkbook. Let me check your relationships. Let me check your commitments. You see what I just asked you the second way, the second time? See, if you're truly not your own, your character, your conduct, your conversations, your commitments, your commodities, and your communion should reflect that reality. But many of us say we're not our own, but yet we live as if we are our own, how we handle our money, how we handle our ministry, how we do with our mouth and our manner, right? And as a result, we say that we belong to Jesus and we want to represent him until someone gets on our nerves. Here's a question that you need to ask yourself as a servant of Jesus. I will obey Jesus if or until what is your if and what is your until that shows you the level of your commitment to your savior and that shows you the level of your commitment to serving we must be motivated by something bigger than ourselves here's the fourth thing i want you to see a servant of god should be seeking to represent god not self in his or her service to others it was never about us. Everything is always bigger than us. Whenever you reduce anything to yourself, you've missed the point of existence. Now, let me, let me put it to you another way. As you study the Old Testament to the New Testament, can you think of anything that God created that he created for itself? Is there anything that God created that was created for itself? So if you say to me, well, no, I've researched, I've studied the Old Testament, the New Testament, there's nothing that God created that was created for itself, then what was everything created for? His glory. You say, okay, that's a churchy word. Can you break that word down? You guys are asking a lot of me this morning. Okay, jeez. What do you think, I'm a preacher or something? I mean, so here is what it means to glorify God. It means to demonstrate the greatness of of his character by functioning according to his order and design to demonstrate the greatness of his character by functioning according to his order and design. So you know what that means for you and I being a servant means that I must understand God's order and design for every aspect of my life and be willing to submit and to surrender and serve. That's my motivation. The moment I recognize that, 
I'm not my own, so therefore I shouldn't be living for myself. My marriage doesn't belong to me, so the marriage has to be bigger than the marriage. The ministry has to be bigger than the ministry. The church has to be bigger than the church. My life has to be bigger than my life because God did not create me for myself. And so my serving has to represent the one who saved me. Here's the fifth thing I want you to think about motivation of a servant. A servant of God should be driven by the fact that he or she will be blessed in the action of serving, not in the knowledge that he or she should serve. You know what that means practically? Talking gets you nowhere. Application gets you everywhere. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in our college where our church would meet and I would see two or three men pontificating on the message while the other men are moving the chairs and the tables. And it would be a message on serving. <laughs> you know, what the pastor said about serving was incredible, but I had some concerns because technically there's some things that he could have said differently. I mean, he looked at the text, but you know, there's some Greek words there. I don't think he really texted it and hit it the way it should be while everybody else is moving chairs. There's a danger with knowing a lot and living a little. Knowledge will make you arrogant. Application will bring transformation to your life. Be careful of knowing a lot and living a little. This is a very dangerous place to be. I'll never forget. I was sitting in a counseling session and this man began to talk about how he was more spiritually mature than his wife, how much more Bible he knows. And he went on and on and on. I get nervous when people start telling me how spiritually mature they are. Uh, that makes me nervous. You know, it's like somebody coming up to me saying, I'm a very humble guy. That makes me nervous. <laughs> you have to tell me. So he began to go on about how sp more spiritually mature he was than his wife. And I began to slowly unfold to him how he had more knowledge than his wife, but he was the same level of maturity as his wife. And I told him, she's far along than you are because she's living at this level of a person who lacks knowledge and you're living at her same level, but you have more knowledge. Never confuse what you know with how you live. It's the most dangerous place to be. Jesus said, those who hear what I'm saying and they do it are blessed. Not those who know what I'm saying and can repeat it. A true servant is not serving to be seen. They're seen serving. A true servant understands that the motivation of their existence is not for people to like them, but for them to love others because they've been so loved by God, they want to share that with others. Now, let's take all of what we've just seen in these passages, and let me shut this down with some just practical things that I want you to consider from this passage. What is the ministry of a servant of God? Let, let me see if I can, before we talk about it, let me give you three realities about you that because you're a Christian, you need to understand that calls for a relationship 
reevaluation. There are three things about you that are consistent with you, regardless of what career, regardless of what church, regardless of where you go. This is a reality because you are a Christian. Because you put your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you are a disciple, number one. And that relationship as a disciple means that you follow what Jesus tells you to do in your character. Again, your conduct, your conversations, everything about you, because you're a disciple, you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Whatever he thinks, whatever he says, whatever he does, that becomes who you are. You follow. Well, the second reality about you is that you are an ambassador. And an ambassador means that everyone who does not belong to Jesus Christ, you were meant to build relationships with the outside world so that through that relationship, you can give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if God wills, not as you work or relate, someone gets saved. But thirdly, you are a builder. As a builder, according to Ephesians chapter four, every individual that's a believer in Christ Every person you encounter at that level, you were meant to give of yourself in such a way that you help them grow in their character and grow in their. Oh, hey, and grow in their faith. Right. That's a reality. You're a disciple. You're an ambassador. You're a builder. You say, so then how should I serve? Well, let's go backwards. How should you serve? You do what Jesus tells you to do in your attitude, your actions, your character. You connect with those who don't belong to him with the intent of doing what is good and right and giving them the gospel. You connect with those who belong to Jesus Christ to help them grow in their character and grow in their faith. That happens no matter where you go. Let me give an example of what I mean. If you're a uncle and your niece is an unbeliever, you are an uncle that's an ambassador. If you are a auntie and your nephew is a believer, you are a auntie that's a builder. Does that make sense? That never changes. And in a ministry of serving, it's about these relationships that through those relationships, your whole agenda is to help someone come to Christ or help someone grow in Christ because you belong to Christ. Now, if we understand that, we shut this down by looking at these five major realities of what ministry can look like in your life. So when you think about the ministry of being a servant of God, consider this. You are to help unbelievers recover from sin and to move in the right relationship with God. That's what we see in Matthew 18 or Matthew 28. Go there and make disciples. Well, that means as an ambassador, I'm always building relationships with the undying world, the dying world, so that through those relationships, someone can get saved. But secondly, you are to help believers grow in maturity and faith into Christ Jesus. Right here in this church, you are always needed. And when you are here and you connect, your job is to be connected in such a way that because of you, someone grows in their character and grows in their faith. But thirdly, we are to help believers recover from sin and mature in fellowship with God. Now, my grandmother would say this, baby, tell the truth and shame the devil, right? How many of you have ever done some dumb stuff? Anybody? What we don't need is I told you so. What we need is a hand that says, let's grow together from this. You've been given the ministry to help people recover from dumb stuff. That's our ministry. Now, here's something I tell people in premarital counseling. 
that I'm going to tell you this, and it's also true for the church. The closer you get to anybody, the clearer you get to see and experience their depravity. And that's what we forget. We're not perfect. We're being perfected. We're not sinless. We should be sinning less and less as we walk more and more with God. But what does that mean? The closer I get to you, the closer you get to me, you're going to see some nasty stuff about me that you didn't know existed. And I'm going to see some nasty stuff about you. That's not the time to run. That's the time to embrace. Because God is using us to help each other grow through that ugly stuff that's in our lives. And the moment we recognize that, we can begin to see people not as we expected, but to see them as they are and love them where they are as God has given us this ministry to connect. So many people struggle in church because they didn't realize how ugly we can be to each other. And what I try to tell people is the closer we get to each other, we're going to see a lot of ugly stuff. But that's what we were meant to help each other grow from and grow through. Now, I told one lady this and she got really upset with me because she was so critical of our church and just everything was bad about our church. I said, well, you know what? If you find a perfect church, I don't want you to go there because you're going to mess it up. (laughs) You could see why she was unhappy with me, right? (laughs) I'm saying the same thing to you. If you find a perfect church, don't go. It doesn't exist. We all have some corruptness about us. That's why we have the care of one another. You've been given that ministry. Does that make sense, everybody? Here's the fourth thing, providing monetary and material items to believers so that they may function in society as God intended and being willing to open one's home to needy Christians as deemed biblically wise to do so. I tell my friends this, hey, bro, sometimes I need you to pray for me, but sometimes I need you to pay for me. You know, we're praying for me to have $50 and you got it in your pocket. Why don't you pay for me and not pray for me? I need that $50 today. The moment we get real with each other, recognize that God has given us more than what we need to enjoy and to share. We recognize that this ministry is not just about our hands. What about our resources? Here's the fifth thing I want you to think about as we close this sermon today. Ministries of the servants of God, you ought to be providing the monetary and material items to unbelievers in need to demonstrate the character of God to them. See, we don't believe in a social gospel. I tell people all the time. We're not here to make the world a better place. We're here to be the better place in the world. But in being the better place in the world, it doesn't mean that we don't reach out to those that are dying and provide some kind of resource, but the resource is to show them the source. It's never about the bread, it's about the bread of life. And that's what they missed in John. And I always fantasize, it must have been a croissant or cornbread that Jesus made. Because they went across the waters for that bread. You remember? I mean, they were like, you know, okay, Lord, we'll believe you if you make some more of that bread. And Jesus is saying, hey, y'all don't get it. <laughs> this is just a symbolism of something greater. See, as saints, we want to give people resources to show them the source. Not so that that makes their life better from the resource, but that they see that there's a God who loves them. 
it becomes an opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Am I, am I making sense to you guys? If we're going to be these kind of people, Jesus in John 13 has given us the model. I want to encourage you to go back, read this passage, look at these things that I've shared with you, look at your life and ask a very simple question. What's distracting you? Is it your career? Is it money? Or what is it that keeps you from being the servant that God wants you to be? Is it damaged relationships? Listen, we all have issues. Would you agree or disagree? And let me give you excuses that people tended to give me that I tell them are not excuses. Let me give you the six P's of excuses that we can never live by in the body of Christ. Six P's. Are you ready for these six P's of excuses? You sure you ready? That's my time. God bless you. Have a great day. Nah. P number one, we excuse ourselves because of people. People. P number two, past. Past. Number three, parents. Parents. Number four, pressure. Pressure. Number five, pain. Pain. And number six, problems. When I'm challenging people in my congregation, those are the six excuses I get for either why they can't obey God in some situation or why they're not obeying God. They'll say, Pastor, you don't understand. Because of these people, that's why I can't obey God or I have not obeyed God. Pastor, you don't understand. Because of my past, that's why I can't obey God or have not obeyed God. Pastor, you don't understand. Because of my parents, that's why I can't obey God or have not obeyed God. Pastor, you don't understand. Because of the pressures in my life, I can't or have not obeyed. You don't understand, Pastor, because of these pain or these problems. And I say to them, those are great excuses, but they're not acceptable in the presence of God. You have the power to obey. And the more you blame the people, the past, your parents, the pressures, the pains and problems, you're making excuses instead of coming to make confessions and walking by the power of God to do what needs to be done. What if we stop being a church of excuses and start being a church of confession, repentance, and move forward to serve the way God called us to? See, if those things are keeping you from serving God, let me show you how it sounds weird. You say that I can't obey because of the parents or the pressures or the pains. So then the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, temperance, self-control. Unless you have problems with the past, the people, the parents. If you have, does that sound like the Bible to you? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows that he shall reap. If he sows to the flesh, he shall from the flesh reap corruption. If he sows to the spirit, he shall from the spirit reap eternal life. Unless he encounters people, past, parents, pressures, pains. Does that sound right to you? We got to stop making excuses. Start making confessions. Get on track with God. 
to give our lives over to be the servants he called us to be so that we can have the life he's called us to have. And we will find productivity, we'll find satisfaction, we'll find peace. But it won't come from those things. It'll come from him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the model you've given us. We thank you for the love you've shown us. Forgive us, Lord, because we have blamed the people in our lives. We've blamed the past. We've blamed our parents. We've blamed the pressures. We've blamed the problems and pain as reasons why we're not obeying you or reasons why we can't obey you. And Lord, we ask your forgiveness because there's nothing. You said greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. You've given us everything we need for life and godliness. Have mercy on our souls. Help us to begin to recognize that you saved us not so that we could be a better us, but that we could reflect you. Guide us into that new reality. Show us where we've fallen short and let us no longer excuse those things, but confess them and get up and surrender to you and learn how to live for you. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.